picks like Scott's, LG, and DeWalt. So take on your projects with confidence. Lowe's is the exclusive home improvement retail partner of the NFL. Price match applies to same item current price of qualifying retailers. Exclusions and terms apply. Learn how we'll match price at Lowe's.com slash lowest price guarantee. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Giannato and Jeffrey show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter on X at jwright 929 espn Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. Glad that he's with us. Sitting across from is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist. The lead sports columnist, the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. The top three sports columnists in the state of Tennessee. Barely. Tied for eighth best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter on X at MGNato. Mark, good day, sir. Anything happened this weekend? I don't I know. I tell. didn't hear much. Couldn't tell. Um, no, I'm here to talk about the travesty, the injustice done to the Florida State Seminoles and the Michigan Wolverines. Mm. <laughs> I'll say this. I'm going to be perfectly upfront. There's a lot of Michigan folks. That, you know that video that went around of, one, I don't understand why, like, Florida State, for instance, allowed cameras into their, them watching that, them, whether they got in or not. I think it tells you that they still thought they were getting in. Because, like, you didn't see Alabama allow cameras in, you know? And so Marty – well, the one that I loved the most. So Marty Smith was sitting out – if you've ever covered a a football program, they always have the hallway of the NFL players and the mannequins. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they – Marty Smith was doing his stand-up from there. The one that I loved was they sent Laura Rutledge to Athens, mm-hmm. and she was in the team room where mm-hmm. they would have like watch film, do all the meetings. Yeah, no one was in there. <laughs> well, and they had the video of the reaction at the Michigan party, which seemed like it was a mixture of like players and boosters and what have you. And like there was it seemed the... like it was a continuation from the party that they had had there because the report from Jen Lada Lada, how Lata, do you say? It? I don't know. She was like they were here till four thirty. Yeah. Well. Regardless, there was that audible groan that you heard. Mm. And Michigan people have been trying to walk it back. Like, I was just shocked at, at what happened. Not, yeah, of course, yeah. It, I'm going to tell you, every, every Michigan fan had the same groan when, when Alabama got named the fourth team and you realized Michigan was going to have to go through Alabama to, to, to go to a national championship. Very clearly, I think I speak for everyone in saying – Michigan would much rather face Florida State than Alabama. But I don't think that is connected to the fact that Florida State also got royally screwed yesterday. Yeah, it's overreaction Monday, so of course we will start there because I I think that was clearly, I said it on Saturday night, like you could tell that next like 14 hours was going to be so just ripe for Twitter, for X, Mm -hmm. because... No sport is a talk about it more sport than college football. And you just, like, you had everyone with factions, whatnot. So we'll, we'll get into that. Also, the Grizzlies split over the weekend. I feel I feel like I haven't felt, I'm not saying I feel good about the Grizzlies necessarily, but I haven't felt this good in a few weeks at least about the Grizzlies. <laughs> to avoid, like, the obvious winning just cures everything, I do agree with you. I found myself on, even on Saturday, mm-hmm. I found myself thinking, I feel better about this team than I did for the previous few weeks. It it certainly felt like that Utah Jazz win, while not like a turning point, was more than just a win for this team. Like, they've, they've figured out something. Again, if the goal is to stay afloat, they've probably ultimately have failed at that goal. Without John Morant, but it feels like whereas a couple weeks ago it felt like they were gasping for air, it feels like now you know yeah we may be lost at sea a little bit, but we're back. We got like a life preserver that we're holding on to at least. Like we're we're not gasping for air anymore. I mean, it got me to the point where if you could have another situation where another team sits some guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, double digits is right there. Uh, I, it's convinced me they get Detroit on Wednesday. Yep. On the road. Detroit, 
Now that that game feels tricky to me because you circled that as a trap spot. Well, because Detroit's they've lost seventeen games in a row, Jeffrey. You think they're they're going to win? They're a professional basketball team. They're going to win one at some point. This could be their Utah game. Sure. You know what I mean? Like where they like they get the Grizzlies who have a bad record at home on Wednesday. They could just throw everything into that one. Sure. Um, but then I but what this weekend convinced me is that like whereas maybe a week ago I would have said. Man, it's gonna be tough to split those Houston games. Now I feel like I'm like they can split the Houston games next week. Like they can come out of this seven and eighteen, which again, not great when Ja returns, but feels a little better than what you thought it was gonna be a week or two ago. I think maybe the appropriate way to look at it is they're four back of ten right now. Mm-hmm. I think it's entirely realistic to think that they could maintain four back. Yeah, over and that's that not stretch. like it's not great, but it's not the end of the world either. Well, no. I mean, if you would have given me that two weeks ago, I think I would have taken that. So lots to overreact. You also had a Tiger basketball game on Saturday. Uh, uh, I thought a deflating loss at Ole Miss. Not a killer of a loss, but just deflating because you were the better team and you led most of the game, and then you lost it. Um, So we'll dive into that. We'll also talk about it with Jason Munns, Tiger basketball beat writer. He'll join us at 2.40 or so. 3 o'clock, we will get into our recap of the recap, our recap of NFL primetime. Once again, huge game. Didn't really deliver much drama in the NFL, Niners, Eagles, but did have – it feels – you know what it's starting to shape up like a little bit? There's not – it. one, does feel like there's an increasing amount of drama at the top of the AFC. Yes. Um, there's a little bit of drama at the top of the NFC, um, just in terms of can the – like to me, yesterday very clearly proved the Niners are the best team in the NFC. It's just a question of will they have the best record in the NFC at the end of the season. I mean, I think it also clear the Eagles play the Cowboys this week, yes. and that sets up another massive, massive game. Mm. I mean, you will if if the Cowboys can win that one, they're split. They both have three losses, so yeah. But we're also seeing it's like kind of like Formula One, the mid card, yeah. if you will, or whatever, is starting to really well, become interesting. The race interesting. for the bottom is still the most. The race for the bottom, but even the race for the middle. You know, the sure. AFC South is looking pesky, is looking frisky now. Is that McLaren coming up the end? Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, so lots to get Zach to on the Brown NFL front. Zach Brown about to waddle up on the screen. <laughs> and then uh, we'll do the list to wrap things up. Got an interesting uh, potential complication in the uh, Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium renovation plans uh, via the Memphis City Council. We'll give you details next hour. But let's start with our overreactions. And I think we have to start with college football and that and the college football playoff. Let's do it. Um, I put this uh, – listen, I understand the argument of – you know what? If you put Alabama and Florida State on a neutral field, Alabama probably wins the game. Alabama's probably favored by double digits if you put them against Florida State tomorrow on a neutral field. But maybe, it doesn't mean maybe it'd be it it'd at least be like the Washington Oregon line. Nine, eight, nine yeah. points, something like that. And I just found the way it all played out to be really, really hard to stomach in the sense that, one, just as soon... Basically, the the moment Saturday started, Sankey was already politicking. No, 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 no buddy. Friday. Friday. It, it, the one is not the same, and the, the, you know, the Sesame Street line he was using. Then he, you know, I, I found really distasteful was after Georgia lost Alabama, the stories that were getting put out there. Well, you know, this wouldn't have been an issue if the Alliance hadn't held up the 12-team playoff. It's like, well, like, you're right. And we've made, we've pro- I think we've properly ridiculed the Alliance over the years. At the same time, the like, it was not even acknowledging the role the SEC played in the Alliance forming. The Alliance formed because... You created a playoff system while you were about to po- make the literally the biggest dominoes fall in conference realignment, so grabbing I- Texas and Oklahoma and not saying anything about it, which, again, is fine. But then you can't two years later, later retroactively go, Was, wasn't our fault this is happening. This is everyone else's fault. I guess the only pushback I would have on that is I do understand your point of, well, the whole point of the alliance was a response to you taking Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. I would also point out to you – it also appeared, as time went on, the alliance was nothing more than the Big Ten trying to buy some time mm-hmm. to finish their television deal mm-hmm. before the CFP television deal came up because then you'd have competing I, bidders. I'm not absolving the alliance of blame. My problem is saying, like, it's all their fault. 
that this is happening. Well, and, and the inference being, uh, you, we shouldn't be punished for that. Yeah, I guess, though, where I would say, and I'm, I can't believe I'm taking Sankey's side on this one. It is very obvious the ACC, and you and I said this in real time, mm-hmm. the ACC in the Pac-12, in an effort, I guess, to, like, maybe, I guess, rally their troops because everyone was mad at the SEC, they acted against their own self-interest. Because mm-hmm. we said this in real yeah. time. A 12-team playoff, playoff was better there, for them. 100%. Yeah. And that should be the only thing that they should have cared about. Yeah. So you got that. But th- beyond that, Florida State was undefeated and played a worthy schedule. And Alabama lost to Texas at home convincingly. Let's be honest. Texas won that game convincingly. I'm pretty sure they never led. Um, and I thought Mike Norvell said it well. Like, I thought he – I. it was funny. You had Mike Norvell sending out an indignant, disgusted statement about Florida State being left out, and it got way less attention, obviously. Mike Oresco sent out his own statement, kind of upset that SMU didn't get the uh, – New Year's Six Bowl over Liberty. And, and I can just tell you, Mike Norvell's was way more convincing. Like, I, lo- I, I thought he had a great – like, I could, I, could hear the, I could hear the anger in that statement, even though it was a – like, it, it felt like it was a statement written by Mike Norvell. I guess, though, in fairness to Oresco, if you're comparing the two, in the end, Oresco's having to take up for a team that's leaving, leaving. him. Yeah. Whereas it did feel it. Like, I'll say this. More times than not, when you read those statements, mm-hmm. I'm sitting there going, okay, who wrote that? Yeah. I at the minimum I do think Norvell dictated it to somebody to type out. Yes, and maybe they spruced it up a little yes. bit, but yes, that felt like Mike's voice. And he's right. Like the games didn't actually matter to the committee. It was perception of the SEC that mattered. Because basically the basically what the committee said yesterday is, well, we can't have a legitimate playoff if the SEC champions not in. They didn't actually think about anything that happened this season in my mind. They were thinking about, well, we can't have a legitimate playoff without Alabama, without the SEC having some representative. And I, I, would, I, I just found it all very, very distasteful. Because, like, this argument over – and th- this, this came up a lot, frankly, when I was doing, like, high school rankings back sure. in the day. Because, like, the private schools in D.C. are way better than pretty much every public school in the D.C. area. Sure. But, like, you know, you're doing rankings. And, like, I always felt that – this argument of best team versus most deserving is a misnomer. Most deserving is the best in this case, in my mind. Like, it shouldn't be an argument over what's the right rationale. Most deserving is the best. It's not about who would be favored according to Vegas or who would win. It's about who had the best season. Florida State had a better season than Alabama this year and deserved that spot. Yeah, to me, where I found myself getting upset to the degree that I did, like, because Jeff asked me, was I outraged? Like, well, no. Like, I'm not outraged. In the end, like, my biggest problem is I don't understand. I don't like when I see a situation in which what happened on the field doesn't matter. And I do understand, like, the argument for Alabama would be, the groan from Michigan people right there tells you Alabama should be in. I just don't think that is right. But at the same time, it's like, I guess what also really annoyed me, I know Florida's not a great team. Mm-hmm. And I know Louisville was more fraudulent than it seems everyone else is also trying to acknowledge. Like, mm-hmm. Louisville had a no. Louisville had a very soft schedule. Louisville, like, Louisville let's be honest, was like kind of like the Memphis of the ACC. Had a good season. But, like, when you really stack up who they beat, it wasn't— They lost to Kentucky the week before. Now, with that said, one thing that drove me insane was, let's flip the roles. Mm -hmm. And if Alabama would have had to gone into their title game in terrible weather and had the defensive effort— that they got, that Florida State got. They almost lost to Auburn a week ago. They got well, lucky to beat Auburn a week ago. And they were using, essentially the committee's using, well, Florida State didn't look that good without their quarterback. Uh, you know, we, we can't let them in. It's like, uh, Alabama, you know, Florida State didn't look that good in two games without their quarterback. Alabama looked like crap in two games with their with their quarterbacks this year 
against South Florida sure. and Auburn. Well, I mean, the other thing that I kept thinking about is what happens if what happens if the replay official at the end of the first half on that fourth down catch, I think it was Bond. Mm-hmm. I think Bond makes the fourth down catch. If he would have buzzed down to review it, we would have seen, oh, that's incomplete. Yeah, it's it's wild. And then, like I had, like here's the caveat: people have brought this but up. The, but the real thing that I don't like mm-hmm. is essentially what we kept saying about Florida State in the eye test was their offense isn't good. Mm-hmm. Well, furthermore, yeah, Jordan Travis is not coming back, but Tate Rodemaker is is coming back. Yeah, and is he Jordan Travis? No. But he also isn't a true freshman making his first start as his team's trying to go stay undefeated and win it. Shout win out Brock Glenn, by the way. Lausanne right. kid for getting the dub. I know he didn't look great, but got the dub. He, he t- held under the as, ball. As, what, what did Tomlin say? W, wins wins and losses are a coach and quarterback Correct. stat. Correct. But there's also the argument to me, and this is what I would say to Alabama, it's really hard to go undefeated. Like Yes. That is something that you accomplish. Well, and here's the hypothetical. I brought this up to you and others have brought it up on social media. Like, what if what if Mike Norvell had decided, you know what, like, if he had known, like, if he had foreseen this might happen, that the committee might do this. What if he had said, like, in the last week, you know, listen, it was a serious injury, but we're holding out hope that Jordan Travis will be available for the for the playoff semifinal, even if it wasn't true. Even if, like, there's obviously there was no chance. If he had left the door open a little bit and said, like, hey, we might be able to get him back for the playoffs. Would that, like, under the rationale the committee used, that should maybe change what the rankings would be. So I think in that specific injury, I don't think you could have hidden that one. Because of, A, it was so public, and it was obvious, like, he was going to have to go have surgery. Mm-hmm. Now... What I do think is an entirely reasonable discussion to have was Mike's follow-up point. What was I supposed to do? Not play him on senior night? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, literally, we're going to have to start having situations that where coaches are going to sit there and go, all right, we're playing North well, Alabama. Like, we can't, whatever, we're sitting guys. We got load management. Well, the How's other, the NBA doing with that? The other question is, would the committee have done this if the playoff wasn't changing next year. So my my instinct is no. And I then again, th- just throw... To me, it's just like everything you discuss and then you go, God, this is slimy how this all played out. So... Like, I don't think it was a conspiracy. Like, some people... Like, the ACC people are saying this is a conspiracy against the ACC. This is like ESPN colluding for, you know, and like using its influence on the committee to right, but- influence this. But it's like... The chair, of the, I don't buy into that because the chair of it was an ACC guy and Bukor. And ESPN and is their number ESPN one ESPN has a partnership with ACC. I do think, though, it is what we saw is a reflection of the past five, ten years of, like, this acceptance that the SEC is king. And in most years it is. But for whatever reason, because that's the perception, it leaked into, it like, basically... The decision was made based on, like, results from two and three years ago, it felt like, not based on results this year. It's just, well, the SEC is the best conference, so we got to have an SEC team. And it's like, well, I don't know if the SEC was the best conference this year. In fact, a lot of the metrics suggest it wasn't the best conference in football this year, in college football this year. I mean, there's always the argument. I, I don't know. I, I really struggle with, do I think it was the best conference? Like, I think there was probably fewer cupcakes in the SEC than there were elsewhere. Mm-hmm. With that said, you still can still didn't get enough bowl eligible teams. Why we, Memphis is going to the AutoZone Liberty well, that's Bowl. That's because that's because Mark the, the bottom of the league there are no cupcakes. <laughs> um <laughs> I do think though when you compare when the when the SEC went out of conference this year, they had a losing record mm-hmm. against other Power 5 leagues. And I think you can also get mad whoever's going to get mad. I think Lane Kiffin and Eli Drinkwitz did unbelievable jobs with their teams. Mm-hmm. But I think there's also an argument to be made. When Missouri and Ole Miss are combined 20-4, and four, mm-hmm. your league probably wasn't operating at peak efficiency. Yeah. There was probably a reason why they could. It's because the league wasn't at its peak of its power, so therefore mm-hmm. you allow a, a mid-card team to, to rise up. But I think the, the other issue, though, that I really had is, like, if, if you would have flipped the roles and Alabama wins like that, 
The whole conversation. No one cares. Oh, what gutsy Jesus. effort! What a gutsy effort what a by the tide. Game plan. Yeah, just yeah. gutsy. You're absolutely right. Gutsy, gutsy. Look at that defense. That elite Alabama defense, and it's like, well, and here's here's the the reality. Like, what's done is done now, and the truth is, let's be honest. The ratings for that Michigan Alabama game are going to be through the no, roof. I, my second through uh, the roof. My overreaction was like, this is probably the two best semifinals we've ever had. Certainly in terms of uh, brand names. I'm talking about point spread everything. Yeah. No, yeah, it's two two games that really feel like toss-ups. Coin flips. Yeah. Legitimate coin flips. I agree. It, for, for entertainment purposes, it is the best, po- probably the best possible outcome. But in terms of fairness, in terms of, frankly, the, the future of the sport, not a great outcome in my mind. Well, but, I think, though, I think that's the larger point is... Because I do think... We will remember. I, I gave this analogy to you in the morning when we were talking on the phone. World War One would have probably happened no matter what, yeah. but it got ignited when Franz Ferdinand, the Archduke of I don't remember what it was, it's the country Austria, that doesn't. Is, is the Austro-Hungarian? Uh, yeah, it was, it was like was the Prussia. Prussia. It was Wasn't the, it called Prussia still uh, then? Prussia is what remember. is Prussia is like Berlin. So okay. think of that. But he's the he was the crown prince of the Austrian-Hungarian Empire. But he gets assassinated, and that really ignited World War One and his wife. And his wife. But World War One probably happens in some form or fashion, no matter what. It just needed, Correct. like, an ignition. Yes. Shout out Gabriel Princip. And I think the same might apply here in that the ACC was probably going to implode at some point. And, like, this new era of college football where the the – you know, the two, two leagues separate from everyone else or whatever people have theorized is how college football is going to progress here over the next decade. That is probably going to happen anyways. But it feels like Florida State, the most vocal of the ACC schools in terms of we we freaking hate it here, right? Like yes, they made the sharpening it very, of the knives, yes. They made it very clear six months ago. Like some of the ACC people. They said they were meeting with private equity. The, the ACC, like ACC media and ACC fans are like, I cannot believe that the committee achieved the impossible. They made the ACC feel bad for Florida State again after, like, they were just furious at them. But this is going to speed up Florida State trying to get out of the ACC, and it's going to speed up the implosion of the ACC, this th- decision yesterday. I think that's clear because the other thing I would also say is the other team that I think has a right to sit there and go, whoa, what about us, mm-hmm. is SMU, mm-hmm. and where's SMU headed? Yeah. Exactly. Because, like, the rationale that they used to put Alabama in was not the rationale they used to give Liberty that New Year's Six Bowl. I I agree with put. I frankly, I agree with putting Liberty over SMU. I, I'm okay with that. It's not like it was SMU had one loss. They had two losses. Yeah, but they did play. No, no, they played a tougher power, schedule. Like, they played a tough, much tougher schedule. But I respect the zero. I, I respect the zero. Who had the better season? I would say Liberty had the better season. They went undefeated and won their league. I think their strength of schedule is like 150. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. They're going to get blown. They, they if Oregon cares even one iota about that game, they're going to blow them out. I think what you're really missing, though, is you're really missing the overall number one overreaction. What's that? This is all Hugh Freeze's fault. <laughs> yes. How? Well, Explain. Give, connect those dots for me. Well, first and foremost, uh, when everyone was acting like, look at what Freeze did at Liberty. Well, how's Chadwell doing? Oh, uh, you're right. And then he should have beaten Bama. And then should have beaten Alabama. He should have beaten Bama. Yeah, no, that's a good Instead, point. they ran a quarterback just, spy. Yeah, yeah. if he had that spy trying to knock it down. Correct. Or just going at, like, or like delayed blitz, the, blitz, blitz the like, quarterback. whatever, just yeah, go after something. him, yes. Yeah. Or <laughs> known which punt returner was back there trying to fair catch a punt. Uh, well, we'll have plenty more time to break this I've down. I've got one more. Oh, okay. My other overreaction from all this? Mm-hmm. Could have been worse. Oh, yeah? I truly believe this. I think Washington saved us from... Oh, Georgia and Bama and... Yes. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I think that saved us from that. Yeah, yeah. Have Michigan-Georgia and Bama-Texas rematch. You think you're tired of all the, the, the pontificating right now? Could you imagine? Well, I'll say this. I don't like what Sankey did. In terms of his politicking and whatever, but it seems like it was effective. No, the SEC clearly outpoliticked the ACC, and I don't know if it was naivete. I don't know if it was, honestly, everyone at the ACC office doesn't like Florida State. Mm -hmm. 
but it they felt, should have been fighting harder. It felt like Jim Phillips didn't. It, it was almost like they just assumed. And honestly, I think this is probably the case because when you were asking why did Florida State have cameras in, I think they thought we won the game we're in. Yeah. And why? Well, because the ten previous times that we've had, mm-hmm. or was it nine? Maybe nine previous times. Yeah, this is had, the tenth year. It'd been nine for nine. Well. They're going out with a bang, the four-team playoff, um, and uh, we'll see next month. Again, should be great games in the college football playoff, but Florida State should be in there. Yeah, I, I just I'm at the point where it's like, what's the point of playing games if like it, I know it's just like, it, and like everyone's like, well, they're going to twelve-team playoff, and like this will happen again. It's like, yeah, but it's going to be different. I when think it's that's kinda, arguing over twelve and thirteen. I think what maybe the bigger miracle is. The fact that as soon as they actually went to a four-team playoff with five, five this power didn't five, happen sooner. The fact that it literally took ten years for this to actually happen. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> like, like what are the, you we were talking about? Yeah. Like, what are the odds? Like, what are the odds of that? Yeah, no, that's true. Um, so lots to lots to consider. Also, consider. Kirby owes us all an apology. What's that? He played so scared. Uh-oh. They marched it right up and down the field, throwing the football, and then it's like, you know what? It's time to do. It's time to run it on Bama. Yeah, how'd that work out? That that's that a, that's what scares me about the Michigan Alabama game. The last when Georgia's down ten, I went back and looked. They had first and goal with like four minutes, like slightly over four minutes, mm-hmm. and the clock, whatever. It's running because it, the the fact that they didn't score and had to burn a timeout for two and a half, like another minute and a half of football, like that is inexcusable. That is just such terrible clock management. All right. Let's go to the Grizzlies right. real quick. So they go one and one. They beat Dallas. Impressive win over Dallas. Shorthanded Dallas. Luka Doncic out. Still one of the more fun wins of the year. Yeah. Look good doing it. Which isn't um, saying much, I understand. And you had, you know, Desmond Bain roll. I mean, they won that game going away with Jaron Jackson Jr. playing 14 minutes and a complete non factor because of foul trouble. And frankly, they were playing so well that I think Taylor Jenkins in the fourth quarter made the call of, well, we got a game tomorrow night against yeah. Phoenix. If we can win this with Jaron just playing 14 minutes, this will help us tomorrow. And indeed, it did. Jaron had awesome. a great game against Phoenix the next night. But they're now 5-14, and 14, uh, got two games this week against Detroit on the road Wednesday and Minnesota at home Friday. Um, and the big, I think the big storyline coming out of the weekend was like, okay, we're getting closer and closer to this roster crunch where they're going to have to make some decisions at the end of the roster. Yep. Jalen Noel had a heck of a performance against uh, against the Mavericks. Yep. Started him at point guard against Phoenix because Ro- Derrick Rose was sitting out the second half of back to back. Didn't look good in that game. No, and I he, thought, like that's kind of. But he's playing out of position, and like he just didn't make shots. Yeah, didn't make shots. Um, and the discussion is okay. What are the Grizzlies? Now they did today announce they were awarded the Grizzlies a second. I guess what is it called? Injury hardship waiver, yeah, essentially. I what the is, but yeah, it's. But they were allowed to sign Noel to a second ten day contract because Luke Kennard is going to be out another two to three weeks. It sounds like, according to their medical update, correct. Um, so they don't. They put off a decision for at least ten more days. I believe that would be uh, December, December fourteenth, essentially five days before Ja comes back. Um, but they're to keep Noel. Well, one. To keep Bismack Biombo, we've already talked about it. Once Ja comes back, they're going to have to release someone to do that. The assumption seems to be, especially since he's not even playing, is that it's going to be Kenneth Lofton Jr. And I don't believe Lofton has money tied up for next year. Exactly. To do Noel, to keep Noel, will be a little more complicated. Because you're going to have to either release someone else or make a trade. And this is this would be my... The, the, the reason why it's mainly complicated is, unless you pull off a trade, you have to do it by eating money. Yes, and that would be that would be my overreaction. The, the easy thing to say is, well, they got to keep Noel. Like he's clearly better than Laravia and Conchar and whoever. And I would say you are absolutely right. I would rather have him than those two. I think, or even Zaire. Yeah, I think. I, I guess but I wouldn't rather have him because like, everyone's thinking about this in terms of well, it's a minimum contract, whatever. No, really, to keep him, you're probably ended up, you're actually paying him like four or five million dollars in essence in cap space because to release Laravia, that's like a $3.3 million hit last, yeah. this, like next year, plus whatever hit you're going to take in the difference in salary this year. 
if you release Conchar, it's even more, you know, if you were to do that, it's even more years left on the deal. And honestly, in retrospect now, the con- the se- it wasn't the first contract extension they gave to Conchar. The second one, in retrospect, completely unnecessary and causing them some issues now because he's got like three more years left on his deal. Um, but I think you need to try and keep Jalen Noel, but I think you need to do it via trade. Like getting rid of some people. I, I wouldn't I would not eat five million dollars in cap space the next two years just to keep Jalen Noel, who frankly, when the team gets healthy, is what, your tenth or eleventh guy, maybe? Uh define when you get healthy. <laughs> like like when Ja Kennard, um like when Ja and Kennard come back. He's probably he's like He's whatever. He's on the wing right after Luke, I guess. Is he a wing though? It seems they've been using him more as like a one slash two. He's not really a wing. And then also you got the other factor of like, has he really been like? What about Vince Williams? You're gonna have to figure that out because it seems like he is at a position, especially once they're full or as full as they can get. Like wing defender is something, especially with how ineffective Zaire and Laravia and Roddy's played better of late. But like, and Conchar has been ineffective by and large, especially offensively. Like. Feels like Vince Williams is a guy you need to consider getting off a two-way because you might need him. The problem with Vince Williams is it's clear defensively mm-hmm. he belongs. And as a rebounder, he's been really right, good. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. he, he belongs in that. The problem is... Is he going to consistently knock down that open shot? Right. Is he enough of an offensive liability to now, wear? Now, you have time to evaluate that, though, because he is on a two-way. So I re- think it's 45 games they're allowed to play on a two-way. I think that's what it, what it is. The biggest reason why I like being able to sign Noel to another 10-day is we kind of saw this with Gilliard at the beginning where he you add him to the lineup and it brought some stability and then enough film, enough game planning got out where teams realized like, hey, this guy's 5'8", let's go attack him defensively. Like I do want to know with Noel, it's like, is this a hot streak because there just wasn't a lot of information on him despite the fact that he's obviously been an NBA player? But, like, how the Grizzlies are using him. I mean, he him. averaged 11 points a game last year for the Timberwolves. Yeah. Like, it is kind of weird. It, it is weird that he was available. Um, I, I, would, I would just say this. It's just, it feels like to keep him and release a bunch of money, isn't that just repeating the same thing you did at the end of last year where you basically ate a bunch of money on Kennedy Chandler to sign Kenneth Lofton and then really didn't end up using him, and you're going to end up releasing Kenneth Lofton now. Like, it just feels like you're doing the same thing and again, I'd like to keep Noel. Sure. I think he is one of their 10 or 11 best players. But I wouldn't want to – like, you have to factor in the salary cap. Like, next year, they're going to have all three dudes on big contracts. Ja, Desmond – like, right now, they don't have – Bain's yep. contract has not kicked in yet till next year. And, like, you really want to be using up five – like, essentially with Lofton released – Kennedy Chandler's deal, and if you were to say release Jake Laravia, you're talking about like seven million dollars tied up in just dead money. Yeah, the like New that or- doesn't make sense. The New Orleans Saints move. I think though the the other thing though that stood out to me, it's like, what does it say about the roster right now that like two of your best six players were unemployed? <laughs> well, or one was like you a two way, and one was on. Un- oh, you're talking Bob Biombo. Yeah, no, it is. It's you know, it's it is what it is. That's that's why they're five and fourteen. Yeah, <laughs> that that's what that's what it's a reflection of. Um, but nonetheless, a productive weekend, to no, say the I, least. I, I I just go back to the basic point of I do feel better about the Grizzlies over these remaining what remaining six games without Jaw mm-hmm. than I did this time last week. Yeah. So um, we'll be uh, very interesting to see and. Again, I, I do I do worry a little bit about that Pistons game. But they're playing at a the, – the thing that's changed is it felt like there for a minute they were feeling sorry for themselves, and now they're fighting back. Yes, that's what you really agree. That's what you can really tell. The defense is looking better. Um, and and it, they look a lot like the team we – you know, obviously way less talented because of the injuries. But remember the past couple of years we'd be like, man, they could just get wins sometimes because they played harder yep. than other teams. That's what that Dallas game felt like. They just played harder than Dallas. Yeah. Um, and yes, Dallas was shorthanded, but like Dallas wasn't any more shorthanded than the Grizzlies in that game. No, and, and the Grizzlies shot better than they typically have. Yeah. Um, all right, and then last but not least, Memphis goes to Oxford 
and loses to Ole Miss. Um, Squander an 11-point second-half lead. Led most of the game. I thought had just, like, just watching it, I was there in Oxford. Thought they had the better team. Still think they have the better team. Um, Certainly the better roster. Yeah. And I thought, you know, there was uh, lots of things that went wrong. Um, But most significantly, I thought, you know, I mean, it felt like for most of the game, every time Ole Miss made a push, David Jones came up with a play. A steal, a shot, whatever. And then for whatever reason... Over the last 550 of the second half, David Jones did not attempt a shot. And in fact, if you go back, over the last nine and change of that game, attempted two shots. And it made no sense. Penny admitted as much after the game. Said he did, like he took the blame for that ultimately. He decided he ultimately put had the ball in in uh Javon Quinterly's hands a lot, thought it would be best him getting downhill and he admitted he should have got. He needed to get the ball to David Jones more. Um, I thought in general, and again, this might this is maybe my overreaction. Like, I'm going to say this, and it doesn't mean Penny Hardaway can't coach. It doesn't mean he's not a good coach. I thought he didn't do a great job against Ole Miss on Saturday. I thought it was not like that singular game. I'm not saying Penny, everyone's the the problem I have with some of this like some of the narrative out there is like. Just saying Penny had a bad game, then everyone, oh, you're saying he can't coach. Can't. No. What about Silverfield? Yeah, no. Like, no, Penny is a pretty good coach. I don't know if he's as good a coach on court as Chris Beard, but he's a pretty good coach. I didn't think he had a good game coaching on Saturday. I don't think he pushed the right buttons, and he kind of admitted it after the game. So my overreaction was I thought there was a key distinction between those two teams down the stretch. Mm-hmm. One team – Basically, it was like, these are our guys. Mm-hmm. This is who we're playing. And I think, like, if you look at it, only eight guys played six minutes or more. And these are the guys who are taking shots for Correct. And it was clearly defined. Like, Ole Miss knew, here's who we want taking our shots. And on the other end, we're not letting David Jones take shots. And that was, and it, to me, I just keep harping back onto it. The one thing that I think it, it, it sucks, but it's the reality of the situation for Memphis Ole Miss, I think, kind of experimented for their first five or six games. Mm-hmm. And they had a lot of results that you're like, man, is that team good? Mm-hmm. Well, what they decided last week against NC State and against Memphis, like, these are the guys that we're rolling with. Mm-hmm. And they clearly define their pecking order. The problem with Memphis is it still feels like Memphis is still kind of experimenting, trying to figure out what their best mix is. And it's just like, because of the way you have to front load your schedule. Mm-hmm. You have to do, like, that's that's what yeah. they're going through. And it's like this is the price you pay. Yeah. No. And it was. It'll be interesting to see how they come out. It's not like to me. It wasn't like it wasn't an end of the world loss. Wasn't didn't feel nearly the same as the lost Ole Miss two years ago did. Like you have opportunities to make up for what happened on Saturday. Um, but they do. It did. I think. I thought it was a revealing loss more so than the Villanova one. The Villanova one, you could like kind of. Scoff, you know, they played a terrible first half. Like, whatever. This game, totally. you could tell, like, the pecking order isn't figured out yet. It should be David Jones number one, but for whatever reason, it wasn't when push came to shove. Um, you don't know if you, you – like, it doesn't appear your starting center is very effective at all. And at the very least, they're not using them properly. That's kind of – Penny's remarks after the game, he leaned more towards we haven't been using him properly more than he's a dud. Um, whereas I think most fans are like wondering if Jordan Brown is a dud. Um, I, I think it's probably somewhere in between. He's not a dud, and they're also not using him properly. I guess the other problem that I have is I know it's overreaction Monday, and losses always lend mm-hmm. themselves to more dramatic and, and mm-hmm. extreme positions. Isn't it also pretty simple? One team went yeah, a, 11, uh, of 11 of 22 from three, and the other well, went and three of And I think of you saw in that game – it happened in the – it didn't cost them in the Jackson State game. The two times they've gone up against little guards, yep. they've gotten killed by them. Yeah. The little guard from Jackson State killed them, but Jackson State wasn't good enough to beat Memphis. The little guard from Ole Miss killed them, especially down the stretch, and Ole Miss was good enough to beat them because of that. Um, yeah, I thought their defense wasn't great in yep. the game either. So let's get into it with Jason Munns. He was there with me <clears throat> in Oxford. We'll get his thoughts on the game. Also, the the, the release of the first net ratings of the year. 
Uh, we'll get his thoughts on all that and what it means for Memphis basketball moving forward with two big road games ahead this week. You're listening to Giannato and Jeffrey on 92.9 FM ESPN. Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the next generation 10G network. Only from Xfinity. The Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Jason Munz is the Tiger basketball beat writer for the Commercial Appeal. You should follow him on Twitter on X at Munzley. He joins us each and every Monday on the program. Munz, what are we listening to? Foreigner. Yeah, I was about Jeffrey. to say. Get the belt yeah, out, baby. Called... Get that foreigner belt out. Yeah, it's a song called Urgent. Yeah. I just remember Seth Cohen when he was supposed to book for a party for Ryan. Ryan's favorite band was uh, Ryan Atwood. Oh. Uh, Journey, and he booked Foreigner because Foreigner is way better than Journey. I mean, it, Cold as Ice and Jukes, mm-hmm. Jukebox Hero are those are bangers. All right, Muns. Hot Let's... blooded. Let's uh let's process the weekend. What was your big take? Oh yeah, no, oh, nothing but hits from Foreigner. But what was your big takeaway from Saturday? Uh, they got uh, Memphis has uh, a number of issues that they kind of need to get in order. Uh, that that bit them hard. Um, at. At Ole Miss. All right, let's let's start with issue. What's what issue in your mind is top the top one on the list? Like this, we got to get this cleaned up before we play VCU on Wednesday. Type of deal. Uh, Are you talking about like matchup based, like specifically? Just just, what what is? Well, I guess maybe not in terms of getting. What is the biggest issue this this team needs to fix uh, in short order? Well, I mean, I think I think I'm not as quite as alarmed with the Jordan Brown situation as I think some people are, but what I think is, is becoming a, to me, I'm more bothered by the the direction that the three point offense is going and the direction that the three point defense is going. Mm. They're both going in opposite. They're both going in opposite directions. And that to me is a cause for concern. Like they're not shooting it as well from three as they had been to start the season. And they're not even really even coming close to defending it as well as they were to start the season. So yeah, that's, that, that's to me, the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And then what would be, what would be, you said number of issues. What else, what else do you, in your mind, it, it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, like none of these issues are Debility, like nothing I've seen so far, at least, and I'll, and I'll let you answer if you've seen. Nothing I've seen has changed my mind about this team's potential. It's just become very clear to me that things are not necessarily running smoothly yet. Nor, you know, like maybe they shouldn't. We shouldn't have never expected them to be running smoothly this soon into the season with so many new players. Yeah, uh, I mean, Jordan Brown would be the other one. Yeah. Um, what did you What did you one, think of what Penny said? Because I think there's two schools of thought here. One is that, like, you know, this guy doesn't look athletic enough for this level necessarily. He's kind of maybe he's out of shape a little bit. He hasn't been effective. And then I thought it was interesting. Penny, both times he's talked about Jordan Brown over the last week or so, has more laid the blame at his own feet in terms of we're not, like, essentially we're not putting Jordan Brown in positions to succeed both offensively and defensively. Defensively, he's getting picked on in pick-and-roll situations. And then offensively, you know, they're not really getting him the ball in the post, which is where he needs to be effective on offense. Yeah, I, th- I thought he he kind of gave some blame to Jordan Brown, said he's not commanding the ball enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the stuff with his conditioning and, and, and the fact that when the other team goes small, he's – he's getting sort of run around. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's, he's got to shoulder some of the blame. His teammates have to shoulder some of the blame for not incorporating him enough into the offense. And then that also is, like you said, he, Penny himself is, is taking some of that blame for not running more stuff for Jordan Brown. I think all of that is largely true. Um, it's it's not one person's fault. It's everybody's fault that he's not been a factor. I mean, look, I looked at this. I looked this up this morning. 
He played 20 minutes against Jackson State in the season opener. Mm-hmm. Do you think he's played more than that at all in any game this season since then? My guess is since you're asking, no. No, he has not. You're correct, Jeffrey. And the most, I think it's it's either two or three straight games, maybe even four now, uh, he hasn't played more than 12 minutes in a single game. So part of that is foul trouble, Penny. Yeah, you know, I mean, the game against Ole Miss ultimately got two fouls in the first minute, and then he didn't yeah. play the whole first half. Penny let him go in the second half a little bit, but, like, you know, it became a close game, and he hadn't been effective all game. Like Penny said it. There's only so long you can ride him, and Malcolm, on the other hand, was in the midst of a really good performance, it felt like. Yeah, so there there are a lot of uh, factors that play into the issues that Jordan Brown is having. Um, you just you, you just got to trust. I mean, Penny said that we are going to be far more intentional moving forward at – forcing the ball inside. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they're going to be doing it with the uh, uh, goal of him scoring points. But I think he's right. You've got to get him. He's got to touch the ball more. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that means he's he's taking more shots or whether that means they're, they're working it inside to him to free up somebody on the outside. He's got to be more involved. What did you make of <clears> – <throat> David Jones not getting a shot up in the last 550. Penny said, Penny took the blame for that too. Said, you know, I should have gotten him the ball more down the stretch. Um, do you see that as kind of a blip or something to be concerned about in terms of pecking order and those sort of things? I don't know. I, I think it's probably more of a blip than anything just because, you know, uh, I would hate to think that the, that it's anything other than that. That, that would be that would be pretty alarming if uh, yeah. you intentionally you had a guy who'd scored 22 points in the first. I don't you know, think it was. It was. I don't. I'm not implying it was intentional. I'm more implying like they haven't figured out who's the guy who should have the ball down the stretch of games. Well, maybe, but I mean, Penny said himself after the game that mm-hmm. he intentionally was trying to run the offense through Javon Quinterly and then hoping that David could somehow you know, could eat off of that. But like, so either way, um, uh, either way, I, I think it's, it's hard to argue against the fact that David Jones needed to uh, be more involved down the stretch at Ole Miss. And maybe if he is, the, the, the outcome is different. Um, you know, you, cer- you certainly lost without him taking a shot in the last five minutes and 50 seconds. Uh, so, so, you know, Deductive reasoning, you, you, you think he, you assume that he uh, should be touching the ball. Uh, the year leading scorer needs to, and, and not only leading scorer, leading rebounder needs to be touching the ball when the game is, when it's crunch time. Um, but I got a bit of trivia for you guys. I got a question for you guys. Okay. Uh, something that got lost here. It's the first time that Memphis has had back to back losses since when? Well, since two years ago, right? Since that fateful night, yes. Two yes, years since, ago since when, they, lo- they lost to uh, – who they, they lost to Iowa State? Well, they had a four-game losing yeah. streak when they lost to Ole Miss with the Monty. Yes, it was meltdown. Iowa State, Ole Miss, Georgia, and Murray State, I believe. Yeah, but no, it was after – it was the comp- – it was UCF, East Carolina, then SMU, and then after the SMU game is when Penny – Oh, uh, oh, so gotcha. It's the first – okay, I see. So it, it's since the since – the, uh, Stupid uh, effing questions. Yeah, stupid effing questions rant. Yeah, that's... that's Correct. First first uh, consecutive losses since that Interesting. Stretch. I well, also... Yeah. I don't know. See if you all agree with this. I wonder how much, like... It felt like the game flipped so quickly that like, I almost wonder, like, how much that played into some of the decisions down the stretch because it felt like, all right, we're in control and we're in control, and then all of a sudden Ole Miss hits a couple of shots, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh... We find ourselves in the spot we didn't think we were going to be in. Like that well, see, almost I, felt I, led to the confusion. I felt like I don't know. I took it. I thought because Ole Miss made a couple pushes in that game, and it felt like every time we, I was sitting next to Muns and we would talk about it. every time it seemed like they were about to get close. David Jones made a play, yeah, and then it was like the last six seven minutes that just didn't happen anymore. Um, partly because right. he didn't get the ball, um, and you know, and then that little point guard was great. Like, let's just be honest. He was great, and I think, you know, 
I think he exposed, I was mentioning this before the break, Jason, you know, the little point guard from Jackson State killed him, and that guy killed him on, on Saturday. And it's uh, something they have to figure out if they have, if they play little point guards the rest of the way. Um, now, the obvious, I, I wrote about this in my column and got some, some pushback. Um, I kind of went into this win or lose. I was going to write about this, but I don't think the the answer to this is we need to we need Mikey Williams here. Uh, and in fact, my like I'm not one of those people. Like I don't feel strongly one way or the other. Like if Memphis wants to part ways with Mikey Williams, I'm fine with it. If Memphis wants to, you know, if Memphis believes in Mikey Williams and wants to bring him here. I'm fine with that. I'm not against that either. What I do think I am against is him having never been around the program and bringing him in now as some sort of solution or addition to this team because I think that will disrupt things even more than they've already kind of been disrupted here a little bit. But I'm curious what you think. Do you think he can help this team this year and they should, you know, Penny should be pushing to get him on the team now that his case is, you know, by and large, resolved. Ultimately, there's you know six months of stuff he's got to do. But from the conversations you've had, it sounds like none of it needs to be done in California. It can be done while he's here in Memphis. But w- what do you think of that Mikey Williams situation now that he's he's reached some something of a resolution in the courtroom? I don't think that the I don't think from a program's perspective, I don't think anything good can come of uh, adding Mikey Williams or any player, not even, not even necessarily just Mikey Williams, but, but, but we are specifically talking about Mikey Williams. I don't think anything good can come of adding him. uh, What is it now? Seven games into or eight games into or 10 games into the season. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I just don't, I I don't think that, I mean, a, he's never even met most of these guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the team, so you're talking about chemistry issues, and, and 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 by extension of that, you're talking about like what kind of message would that send to the guys who have been here for so long, and what kind of message would it send to the guys who came here thinking that they would be, you know, thinking that things would be a certain way in terms of a pecking order, and uh, so I think you got to watch out for that, and then. And they're, by the way, they're already playing ten or eleven guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and 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 Mikey Williams has not has not played a single minute of basketball above the high school level. And you're talking about 